Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Time for Counterpoint. We got lots to get through. We got John Raz, former Liberal War Room director guy, and Bill Hutchison, former journalist, now journalism broadcast uh, professional. Professor. Teacher, professor. I'm trying to read it. I'm like, that's the word professor. <laughs> Good to have you both. Um, quickly, just want to kind of go off this whole war of words over uh, Ford's comments on a carbon tax, you know, pushing us into a recession. You know, I just I just had Jack Mintz on the phone. And I, I tend to to trust what a guy like that says. Um, and, and uh, you know, he factors in. Well, you got to take a, a bunch of variables. You know, you have to factor in a bunch of things. And the bottom line is businesses are not going to eat those costs and someone will pay for it. And that would be the everyday person, Bill. And whether this triggers a a recession, we know because of banking reports that a lot of people are struggling um, and are on the brink of bankruptcy. And so, yeah, another cost. That's what this is. When did we love paying? When are we fighting to pay taxes in this country? (laughs) (laughs) It's like the students who are fighting uh, the tuition cuts. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The fact is that that we have been in a recovery mode for several years now, and they tend to have a life cycle, and we're pretty much at the end of the life cycle anyway. Our, our wage increases are not keeping pace with inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, consumers, uh, consumer debt is very high with interest rates rising. So there are a lot of things that are already Housing pushing school. us closer mm-hmm. and closer. Um, and and investment, foreign investment is, is pulling out of the country. So there are a lot of things. So it wouldn't take much to, to tip us over into a recession. The the Conference Board of Canada forecasted that we our, our economy would only grow at uh, less than 2%, and that was before the oil prices dropped. Right. So we're probably around 1.4%, 1.5% growth next year at at the best uh, in the best uh, scenario. Yeah, bottom line, John, I think everyone's just gotten a lot, uh, way too emotional over this to the point of distraction. It's a ta- it's a tax, and it's not going to change a damn thing. Maybe so, but there's an there you know there is an arc here. Uh, you know uh, what happened, of course, in the last administration, liberal administration, is they made a lot of crazy promises, and then they actually delivered a bunch of new services and goods that Ontarians have come to enjoy and like. And Dougie Hughes. And yeah. then you've got to find the money to do that in the name of environmental activism and all things right and proper. You create a carbon tax which delivers billions of dollars of revenue, even though it's not really supposed to do that, as Bill reminded me in the pub before we got in here, but it does. And eight billion. I was drinking tea, by the way. Oh, we were both. Drinking tea, blue, yeah. blueberry tea, mind mm-hmm. you. But anyway, and uh, <laughs> yes. and then and then uh, all of a sudden we have an eight billion dollar shortfall, and people are talking about a recession. Uh, and the bottom line is, there's lots of services. I mean, one of I am a liberal, but one of my challenges with the past liberal administration was they seemed to be they inserting themselves. <laughs> well, they were social democrats, and they seemed to be inserting themselves in every aspect of my life. There's lots of stuff out there we could cut the fat on. Doug Ford so far has been mostly good on these issues, but I don't know where he finds this. $8 billion and recession is very much a possibility. Oh, I do, but we won't talk about that. All right, let's talk about uh, the story that I hate talking about and probably won't talk about again after this because I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, Pride, again, uh, has flip-flop and they're choosing exclusion over inclusion and they voted the cops out again. This is the third year in a row that this event has been uh, essentially hijacked by, by activists and they're losing money and they're losing money because they let ideology come in and boot the cops out. Um, I say it's time to cut their funding. Uh, Bill, where are you on this? I would agree. 
I would agree. If they if they feel it's a principled stand to exclude the police, then follow through on your principles and don't take money from the the city. Don't don't take the free policing that you get from the city. Say, okay, you know what? We'll pay our own way. And if if in fact they are they're uh, correct that it brings in hundreds of millions of dollars to the city, then there should be sponsors lined up out the door to pay to pay the bills. Well, they dropped off because they're sick and tired of the politics behind it, and that's why they had to let the cops in. But Mike McCormick talked to uh, John Oakley earlier uh, tonight, and I think he makes a good point. Take a listen. BLM shut a parade down and said, we want the cops out of it. The pride organizers capitulated to that. So that was what the genesis of this was. And now we're saying, oh, well, by the way, it's the Pussy Palace raid. Oh, by the way, it's the MacArthur investigation. Oh, by the way, it's the way the police impact marginalized. So next year, we'll come up with another excuse why we shouldn't be in. So why are we even bothering talking about this? Like, they need to get their act straight. I don't know how you screw something so great up. And I really, I mean, Pride has, I think, I think, John, that they've really insulted those who did all the heavy lifting for all those years and turned it into such a great event, only to have it completely derailed by a handful of people. First of all, did he really just say they need to get their act straight? <laughs> Second of all, when did we stop loving a man in a uniform? Third of all, <laughs> uh, it seems to me, it seems to me that this event, which was inherently and like like uh, from its ooze. <laughs> yeah. it was a lot of fun, lot of fun. but <laughs> there was a time this event was yeah. very necessary sure. and there was a real battle for people's basic safety to walk down the streets as gay or lesbians uh, and, and, and and to be accepted at any level of our culture and the, the war is not completely won but most of the battles have been won most yeah. of the battles have been won it's been tremendous progress we should we should all take note that 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 this this parade was a seminal part of that and drew Yes, it makes a ton of money. I've met the organizers. It's very hard to bring in sponsors and leverage that. But I would say this. If you depend on the police for your safety and you demanded that the police be there and they have been great participants and there are many out lesbian and gay and transgendered people in the police force, it seems to me, and I can't believe I'm going to analogize to the Middle East, as Golden Mayor used to say, with whom do you negotiate except your enemy? And I think that means you bring the cops in every year as participants and you should bring in anybody who is not indoctrinated or, or, or proselytizing hate or bigotry. And the Toronto Police Force is one of the most progressive and decent police forces in North America. I like our cops. They're black, they're white, they're gay, they're straight. Let's move on. I'm sick of talking about this. I am too. But, but here, here was the question that made me almost fall off my, my chair this morning. I shouldn't be surprised. But if this is what journalism is becoming now, uh, this is everything I think that is wrong with society today. Let's play an exchange of a reporter from the Toronto Star uh, who asked a question of the mayor about this issue. Take a listen. So I guess some people in the pride community who voted uh, the way that the majority voted in this might say, who is a straight white mayor to tell us? You know, David, I'm not going to get into a debate with you about a straight white mayor. I actually take some offense at the fact you would even ask a question that way. I am the mayor of Toronto, duly elected by the people. And the whole notion you'd raise whether I'm straight or whether I'm gay or whether I'm white or some other color of skin is not the way we do business in Toronto either. No, excuse me. I get a chance to answer the questions you ask them. And I will just say to you that I'm not actually, you noticed I didn't stand up here and sort of say what the solution to this was. What I stood up and said is that good faith on all sides is going to get this resolved and that I intend to continue to use my office as the mayor of Toronto, uh, regardless of my sexual orientation or my skin color, to move this forward. 
So, look, Don, John Tory does not get mad very often, and uh, I like it, Mr. Tory. It's refreshing. But, you know, the question was so out of line. I mean, I've been a reporter a long time. You've been a reporter a long time. When did identity reporting become a thing? Because it's wrong. I think it was about three years ago. Yeah, when you when, when papers started hiring social justice reporters, which is apparently a beat now. But this is wrong. It's very divisive. Are they? Is this reporter suggesting that only a gay black mayor is able to solve this issue. I don't know what they're saying. Like gay, because if that's the way, then don't take any money from any white straight man anywhere. Because I don't, I don't understand why you even ask such a dumb question. He's, he's echoing, he's echoing the activists that are behind yeah. uh, getting the police out of there. They don't want to have a dialogue. They don't want to discuss anything. They don't want to negotiate or or work anything out. They have an agenda. They have an axe to grind, and they're just going to keep pushing it so long as you keep paying the bills. It is the most divisive. Uh, thing that I think is going to be our undoing, John, this constant shutting down debate with crap like this. Well, and it's a little bit rich in this sort of environment as well, where you have a uh, population and culture, and I have friends who do this, who cross-dress and appropriate uh, a different gender. Uh, do they have the right to do that uh, on the basis of that reporter's question? Well, is a reporter even allowed to ask a question? I mean, do, honestly, I mean, are we allowed to talk about the Come issue? On. If we're not... We're gay, certainly and, not allowed to have an opinion, John. Sorry. Uh, but you guys are the least valuable. We are in the allowed room? to have opinions, Bill, on being gray, curmudgeonly men. There That's all we're okay. allowed to have an opinion on anymore. Well, you're, if you admit that you're evil and bad, then you can have an opinion. But again, I, they, this is everything wrong, and I'm glad for once... Tory put him in his place, and I wish he had just been a little tougher. Booyah, John. Keep it up. There you go. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. All right, we got lots to cover. Still, second round of Counterpoint. We got John Raz and Bill Hutchison joining us. Um, I, it can only really be called. Uh, one of the most stunning, gobsmacking uh, things I've ever seen, I think, in politics. Today's uh, top Chinese ambassador, John McCallum, holding this secret press conference in Markham to a Chinese audience only for Chinese media. Our media was not told, and here is what he said. I think Ms. Meng has quite a strong case. One, political involvement by comments from Donald Trump in her case Uh, Two, there's an extraterritorial aspect to her case. And three, there's the issue of Iran sanctions, which are involved in her case, and Canada does not sign on to these Iran sanctions. So I think she has some strong arguments that she can make before a judge. Jeez, I honestly, by the way, and I did not know this, did you know he has a name uh, that he goes by? It's my uh, Jillian. That's what he's named in China because he took on a secondary name. But that's what apparently if if you want to find out information about him in China, you Google Maya Jillian. Uh, But okay, at what point, John, and I understand from the prime minister's office, from sources that are telling our newsroom, apparently he um, he screwed up his words, which begs the question, what the hell is he saying in, in private if this is what he's saying publicly? It seems to me if you're going to have a private tea and whisper sweet nothings into the Chinese diaspora's ears to try and calm down tensions of trade and, of course, hostilities and arrests and imprisonment, that you should probably make sure you don't get caught. 
That seems like the first thing (laughs) that one would say about this. The second thing is, it is very odd for any minister of any partisan stripe to um, outline as if he was giving advice to her counsel uh, what arguments might work Mm -hmm. to actually deflect or deny um, her repatriation or, I suppose, her her exile to the United States, whatever fate awaits her there. Uh, So this is all horribly confusing to me that, that people think stuff like this won't leak in an age where everybody has a cell phone and a camera and a microphone and a recorder and everything can be hacked and accessed is beyond me. I know John. He's not a foolish man. Smart guy. He was well, obviously sent out to give a message, and he is going to get burned on the cinder block for this. Well, look, it's already playing in Chinese media. They're having a heyday with it. I think America is likely uh, ready to kick us in the chops, deservingly so. But look, the, the fact that he hasn't been waltzed out the door by now uh, tells me that they're okay with this. Because it's was, about he votes. He was set up to do this. Uh, he, he had a meeting with the prime minister and the cabinet before he held this news conference. It's not like they weren't aware that he was going to do this. It's better to have the ambassador to go out and do this rather than a cabinet minister or somebody else uh, attached to the government because this doesn't blow back on them in terms of the voters. So the, the ambassador, yeah, he can go out and do this. Do it in Chinese. Not because he wants to hide it, because I, I think they must have been aware that that would get out. I think it's because then you're not going to get the critical questions that would have been fired at him as soon as he opened his mouth. Uh, uh, well, as the ambassador, yeah. he has no business inserting himself into a, a judicial proceeding, let alone the fact that he's an ambassador to the country that's involved in this proceeding. And yeah, to outline the case that, uh, please tell me that that wasn't that wasn't an accident. No, it wasn't an accident. It was and, deliberate. And, and, to, and, here's, your, here's your case. And look, this is a swing riding. This is something that the Liberals desperately want to hang on to. So clearly, I think, you know, cynics in us will say, yeah, they, they were making sure that the vote is protected. This is identity politics at its worst. But the damage, John, is, I mean, it's enormous of what we could go. The wrath of America, should this thing fall apart? And let alone if it doesn't fall apart, China's going to swing back at us. But, you know, I don't understand. You know, the only thing I'm thinking is that maybe the media will finally be pissed off enough to finally hold them to account. Maybe. I mean, I sort of think we overestimate how much the United States cares about what's happening here or his statements or utterances. And as to it being identity politics, I'm not sure you're right. I think there might be some of that there. I think this is more of a public well, what, back what channel, a public it? back channel they... to the Chinese government saying, we're prepared to parley. We'd like our people back out of your jails. We'd okay, like so to have continue. have a conversation behind closed doors. You know, it was a very clumsy Back channel. Oh, yeah, no, Back no, channel, no. I mean, he could, if his name go is talk Jillian, to the, it's right off Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, uh, the ambassador yeah. goes back to Beijing and chats with them and explains, here's here's how you, you get around it. You don't hold a news conference in Canada, in Markham, in Chinese, and think you're going to get away and with not this. This is not anybody back in the Canadian media. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, by the way, um, just quickly, does he survive? If I if the conservatives were in power, no, he'd be out the door. <laughs> okay. With the liberals, he'll be, he'll be forgiven. He'll be I fine. don't think he survives. We'll see. We'll see. I don't. Um, I do want to talk about this. I don't have a lot of time, but it is a, a story that uh, continues to evolve badly, I might add. Uh, Nick Sandman, the Canadian, uh, the Kentucky high school student uh, whose face became you know, widely known and, and uh, vilified after he stood in front of a drum-banging Native American um, in Washington, says he, he wishes he had just simply walked away and avoided it all. He did talk to uh, one of the American shows this morning, um, and here's what he said. As far as standing there... I had every right to do so. I don't, I, my position is that I was not disrespectful to Mr. Phillips. I respect him. I'd like to talk to him. I mean, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away and avoided the whole thing. 
but I can't say that I'm sorry for listening to him and standing there. This story, and if you hear the interview in that story, um, you know, there's the constant, do you regret it? All the onus was put on the, the boys, in, including Nick. And what is, I mean, they're not getting apologies from anybody. They've been completely vilified. Are you, are, are you using this as a case study for your, your students? A very good uh, case study, in fact, for the students to look at in terms of how to get a story wrong, how to take one totally small wrong. thing out of context and, and get it wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, this kid, he, he was a, he's a teenager. He's a high school student, and suddenly he's at the center yeah, of Yeah, but he had a Make America Great hat, and yeah, he's white. That's what makes him And, and, and. That's what makes and he went to a Catholic that's, school, and he was a pro-life march. <laughs> you know? He's clearly okay, a very right. bad clearly person. Clearly, the media got it right the first time. <laughs> you know, like, but again, the story has completely fallen apart, John. Um, Look, and and I, now we don't even know if this, uh, this elder went to Vietnam. Now the reports are that he didn't even go to Vietnam. So I'm going to get right out of the weeds here. Uh, the way I, I watched that video a few times, what I saw was a kid who had not been trained in Abby Hoffman resistance, pacifist resistance, you know, techniques. What I saw was a kid who all of a sudden realized he was on national television. Those are big camps from CNN. And he's on national television. He's grinning nervously, and he's frozen. And I'd like to laud and congratulate congratulate the PR film that wrote that terrific spin that he just delivered. In hindsight, I... What? In hindsight, I... No. All right, so you said all the right things now, and you're spinning some sugar, and maybe you should be and I'm delighted that you want to come to the table and have a dialogue and you learn something. What I saw was a kid, like, frozen, like a deer in the headlights of an he's oncoming six, he's GMC. 16, he's 16. You know what I was doing at 16? I don't want to know, Alex. I was almost living on my own, but... No, like, he's 16. He's a kid. Yeah. And he's, got, he's had his address put out for the world to see his parents. I mean, these kids have been completely treated like garbage. The irresponsible nature of what happened, it, it's beyond words. There are still people who, who blame him and vilify him, and this will follow him around for years. Oh, it's never going away. It was no. odd that it was a school trip, though, wasn't it? Why? Well, What's the difference in going... Look, I am pro-choice. I don't vilify those who are pro-life. Who am I to judge someone for their beliefs? It's none of my business. And frankly, we have people that go on field trips to pro-choice rallies... Who cares? Like, honestly, are we at, Isn't are we that, that the freedom of speech in the United States? Isn't that one of their, uh, you know. You mean trotting off 16 year olds who like freezing the headlights and giving them some regalia that they puts were walking a back to the bus and using them as a stunt? I think I, blame I think both sides. I think the Boom. media, you know, the way we're trained, you know, you kind of step back from the kids. I but think I this is all agitprop, and I blame both sides. I think it's disgusting. Mm. I'm I'm definitely leaning on one side on this one. All right, guys, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. By the way, stop watching CNN, John. That's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. Not, not in recovery. Yet. Uh, <laughs> John Rass joining us, as well as Bill Hutchison tonight. Thank you so much, guys. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. 